0: All right, welcome baseball fans to the latest edition of the uh, of an NL Central podcast. Uh, I'm Eric Roseberry of Red Reporter, uh, here with Alex Christofoli of Viva Albertos. and Say hi, Alex. Hey, guys. And uh, contributor to uh, Baseball Prospectus and Banish to the Pen, Rob Baines. How you doing? All right, so we're recording this on Tuesday night. Uh, most games are still going in the division, uh, but uh, as things stood uh, after Monday – the Cubs are in first at forty-nine and twenty-six. Uh, the Cardinals, uh, ten games back, thirty-nine and thirty-six. Uh, Pirates at thirty-seven and forty. Brewers at thirty-four and forty-one. I and the Reds are twenty-nine and forty-eight after a rough week and a night in which they gave up sixteen bases to Chris Bryant. So, I hope you guys got to enjoy that. A lot of bases. <laughs> It was a slow-pitch softball kind of line for him. So, uh, he had 16 total bases
1: last night. Is that correct?
0: Three homers, two doubles.
1: Okay, Pete and, uh, Cosma had 15 all of last year in 111 plate appearances. <laughs>
0: That's great. <laughs> he had a good night. So, it was over pretty quick. Or, or actually, they kept it close, and every time they got back in, he homered or doubled. Arietta hit a homer. It was just... One of those nights, so, uh, well, normally we won't get to lead this with any Reds news, so we'll take the opportunity this time. Uh, Kind of the, one of the big things going around the Central this week, uh, this weekend, the Reds brought Pete Rose back uh, to induct him into the Reds Hall of Fame, and they retired his number and had the 40th uh, anniversary celebration of the Big Red Machine, so there was a lot going on around Cincinnati with Rose, you know, every player was wearing a patch with his number on it, it was Cut into the grass on the field, uh, and so just curious as we start off, uh, your guys' perceptions of Rose of the weekend, some of us, and we won't mention who, might have been more familiar with him as a player than others on this podcast, <laughs> and so uh, he was done by the time I started following baseball, so we might lean on you pretty heavy, Rob. All right. Well, you know, you
2: know what he reminds me of? In, in the last, I don't know, 20 years or so, he's like the friend you had in college who hung out with this one guy that nobody else could stand. <laughs> and, and you'd always want to say to him, dude, just shut up. Stop talking. And I think that if Pete Rose could shut up and stop talking he would be in a lot better position than he is today but he's what he's 70 something he's not going to stop he's going to keep digging his own grave and he was a he was a great ball player but boy his if if all you know him by is his time since he you know hung up the spikes he's not exactly a sympathetic character
0: well that's what I was going to say even I'm a Reds fan and everything I've known of him has been post playing career and yeah that's the thought I have is just if he, I mean, it seemed like baseball was getting a little more sympathetic toward him for a while, and then he kind of stuck his foot in his mouth again. And I know even over the weekend on the radio broadcast, he was he took some shots at Joey Votto. He just said some things that rubbed people the wrong way, and so hey, can you can you
1: elaborate on that? What did he say about Joey Votto?
0: So, from what I heard, so Votto was out for two games this weekend with basically the flu, uh, an illness. It wasn't an injury, but they just said he was sick. Okay. Uh, and basically Rose said something to the effect on air of if you're going to make that much money, you don't get the luxury of having a sick day. Okay. Which kind of, I guess is his was his MO as a player, but it did not fly very well with some Reds fans.
2: The guy just can't shut up.
1: I remember him I actually remember him breaking the hit the hits the all time hits record because it was such a national story. I was probably only six years old at the time. But I definitely remember that. And I I certainly remember his time as a manager mostly when he shoved that umpire. Which which is really crazy if you see the replay of that. If you've ever seen an old video of that. Like he's really shoving the guy. It's remarkable he was only suspended for, I think, eight or ten games. But it, it, he's kind of a sad story because he really strikes me as a guy who has nothing but this baseball life, and he doesn't really know how to exist outside of that. And I share, I think, Rob's thoughts. I think that's a very good good analogy, and I, I, don't, I certainly don't like Pete Rose as a guy. He doesn't seem like someone I would want to be around very often, but I also understand his appeal. I understand why he's so popular, kind of this folk hero type guy. I'm sure if he was a longtime Cardinal, he would be just as popular um, as he is right now in Cincinnati or if he was a Met or if he was an Angel or whoever. Um, I I think he has this appeal, this kind of blue collar appeal that really plays well um, with baseball fans across the board or at least a lot of baseball fans across the board.
0: Yeah, they were definitely, I mean, he's definitely popular in Cincinnati. And I think there's a definite subset of baseball fan that's just kind of into, you know, he he feels like the kind of player the Diamondbacks would sign. I mean, it's just that kind of vibe of if they're going for, if you like grit and hustle, then he was your guy.
1: Well, even if you really dislike Pete Rose and... Not only because of the gambling thing, um, but also just because of his kind of bombastic personality. I I think it's a legitimate argument to say, you know, hey, look, if you look at his stats, he's a Hall of Famer, so he should be in the Hall of Fame. But it seems to be more than that that's driving his appeal. It seems to be kind of like this almost anti-hero thing with him that makes him so popular.
2: I think one of the places where... He wouldn't be viewed as a hero. It would be in New York because there's a lot of folks there that still still resent the hard slide he made into Bud Harrelson during the um, 73 NLCS. But that kind of play, you know, to Alex's point, that it's representative of a type of play. And, the, you know, the slide in the All-Star game that you don't see anymore. And there are people who miss that, I think.
0: It's kind of crazy to think about now, but I mean, he played until he was 45. Was that, I should know this, was it pretty clear he was just doing that to get the hit record?
2: Well, yeah, it's, if I remember his, his last team was the Reds, which he was also managing and it wasn't a great team, but it sure felt that way. But, you know, I think that even then he got it, he got a pass for, do, for even doing that because because yeah you know, he still maintained a empty but still adequate batting average and he had I mean I remember the old Bill James annuals it used to go on and on about how a guy with a and I think he late in his career had a high 300s-type slugging percentage, has absolutely no business playing first base for a major league team. But, you know, that was the stat heads. And, you know, if the only number they're showing on the TV screen is batting average and Rose's was still in the 270s when he was in his 40s, he got a pass. He also got a pass because he's Pete Rose.
0: Yeah, I was going to say by by Fangraph's war, he had eight five-plus win seasons, but... Didn't get over two wins his last one two three four five six seven seasons that he played.
2: Yeah, and what do you have? What was batting averages those last year? Weren't they still like I say on paper decent?
0: So in '85 with the Reds, which was his next of the last season, he hit, and he would have been 44 at this point. Uh, two sixty four, three ninety five, three nineteen. And then his last season, uh, he played 72 games at 45, 219, 316, 270.
2: Yeah, that that he was obviously playing out the string. But, you know, I think you could get away with having a 319 slugging first baseman then easier than you could today.
1: Pretend the gambling stuff never happens and Pete Rose retired at the end of the 2015 season. He still... In this day and age a Hall of Famer, right? I mean there's no doubt about it. Oh yeah.
2: Absolutely none.
1: Okay. But it would be a different it would be a different case than it was back then. Like he probably would have gotten again, pretending the gambling thing doesn't happen, he probably would have gotten what, ninety eight percent of the vote? Yeah. Yeah. Um what what percentage of the vote would he get today? Whew. Less than that, right?
0: Oh, yeah.
2: Yeah, I don't know if it would be a lot less because you still got a lot of guys who would be swayed by the counting stats and and the all-star game appearances, assuming he had as many, and the championships.
1: Yeah, and don't get me wrong. I'm not saying I wouldn't think he's a Hall of Famer. I I would be one of the first ones to vote for him. You know, again, minus the gambling stuff. It's just interesting how... When I was growing up, when I was little, when he was still a player, the image of how great he was was way different than what it is now.
0: Yeah, and I've always always sided with the – and I know Hall of Fame debates can get boring and tedious, but I've always sided with the – if this is a museum and I'm not – I don't feel like a Pete Rose defender by any stretch of the imagination, put him in put something about the gambling stuff with it maybe okay if you don't want to give him a, a speech or an induction like I did punishing him to some degree uh, but it is tough to to imagine having a baseball Hall of Fame without him in it
2: yeah though though it's it's a little bit of you know of the you had you know you had just one in his case rule yeah <laughs> and missed
0: it. Yeah. Now with this, and this will kind of be the last Rose thing we talk about, but what did you guys think of the Pete Rose-Ichiro debate? Uh, I mean, it seemed like MLB was going out of their way to make a big deal about it. And again, I'm not – I could care less about the record, but I wondered how much of that was this is a way to push Pete Rose down or how much they, they really wanted to build that up as a record for people to care about. I think they were just looking for clicks. Yeah.
1: <laughs> you know, I thought it was silly in that the people who are getting upset about it, you know, I don't I don't think anyone honestly was making the case that Ichiro is now the all time hit king. Right. They were just saying right. if you look at if you they were more just making a case about Ichiro's longevity. Okay. The fact that he accumulated this many hits overseas, and now it seemed like, you know, it seemed like Ichiro was almost old when he came to Major League Baseball. And yeah, the fact exactly. that he has now almost 3,000 hits is amazing.
0: Yep. I am going to try and, because, yeah, I mean, I know they've, on Effectively Wild, they, they've mentioned stuff about him today, but... Yeah, even at the age he's at now, I think, even comparing him and Rose, I doubt he'll play as long as Rose did. Uh, but he seems like the kind of guy that could if he keeps going the way that he is.
1: How old was he when he came to baseball, to MLB? Does anyone remember?
0: I'm looking. He was? 27? Uh, I'm guessing. He came in 2001. Yeah, he was 27. And he's forty. Okay, has 42 now.
1: Has anyone else accumulated that many hits between age twenty-seven and whatever he is now?
0: Oh, probably not, right? Well, I could do an impromptu play index, but
2: hey, while you're play indexing, yeah. can I throw out a somewhat peripherally related to Ichiro fun fact? Do it. That I yeah. heard. You guys, you guys ever listen to the uh, Statcast podcast? I do not. I don't think so. Go ahead. Good. Then I get to break this one, too. (laughs) Okay. You take the Pirates and the Marlins have two of the most highly regarded outfields in the majors. You know, Gato Suna, Yelich, Stanton, Marte, McCutcheon, and Polanco. You take those three, add the fourth outfielder for each team, which is Matt Joyce for the Pirates and um, Ichiro for the Marlins, and then you rank the outfielders this year by pretty much – any metric you want. It can be OPS, OPS plus, uh, war, any warp, anything. The bottom two by a pretty substantial margin are Giancarlo Stanton and Andrew McCutcheon. Wow. Which is a statement both about how poorly each of them are playing this year, but also a statement about how well everybody else for those two outfielders, outfields rather are playing.
1: Huh. So I know. So, um, I know why McCutcheon's having a down year. I mean, I don't personally know why it's happening, but I know from his numbers why why he's having a down year.
2: He's and got, a, he's got a, something going on with his right thumb.
1: What's going on with Stan?
2: That I don't know. I haven't read anything. Jeff Sullivan just did a good piece on McCutcheon's thumb in the last week. He hasn't written about whatever's going on with Stan.
1: Let me ask you guys a question. Um, I thought of this. Earlier, when Rob brought up Pete Rose's All-Star game appearances and such.
0: Okay, hey Alex, real quick.
1: Yeah, you and got the you got the play index. I Let's
0: think, hear it. I have a new respect for Sam and his ability to do this quickly. I think I did this right. All right. From age 27 on, Pete Rose is actually the leader with 3357 post age 27. Okay. Uh, Ichiro is next at 2984. Huh. Give Sam, the top five. Sam Rice is third.
2: Ah, oh, I was gonna guess Sam Rice, and I would have sounded smart.
0: And then uh, Musial and Cobb round out the top five. Okay. Oh. So there you go. But yeah, he is—he's still just under 400 hits shy of and Rose post 27.
1: You know the great stat about Musial's um, hits, right? So he retired with yeah. 3,630. You know, you—you you all know this this crazy stat, right? I know it. Do you, do you know what I'm about to say, Eric?
0: I, well, I don't – no.
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay. So Stan Musial I – I know this without looking um, because of the second part of this fun fact. Stan Musial retired with 3,630 hits. He had 1,815 hits and 1,815 hits on the road.
0: That's a fun fact. Isn't that great? (laughs) It does satisfy something.
2: Last week, you said that the Cardinals have to have the worst base running team in the majors this year. I looked it up. I looked it up today right before we got on. By both fan graphs and baseball (laughs) prospectus, you're right.
1: (laughs) Well, Rob, so I I actually knew that only because of this. So there is this um, really funny tweet that is pretty uh, prominent in cardinals twitter that someone tweeted over a year ago that said base running war will not be legitimate until the cardinals are last in it making (laughs) a comment of how bad they are and i won't believe this is a true stat until the cardinals are last where they belong well anyway last night i believe was when they finally moved into the last so so also also let me back up real quick so anytime the Cardinals would make a base running blunder this tweet would get retweeted a bunch of times over and over again it would make the rounds each time the Cardinals had a two land, which was pretty often awesome, I might add right and last night I believe is when they finally moved into the last spot of, of base running war on fan graphs. And there was, like, a celebration of, we did it! You know, it's finally realized the Cardinals are the worst base-running team in baseball. Base-running war is now legitimate. And there was almost a celebration across across the Cardinals' Twitter.
0: So is it fair that to say base, the Cardinals are to base-running as the Reds are to bullpens this season?
1: Yes, yeah, yes. I don't know if they're that bad. But, uh, <laughs> as I said, I think they just moved into that last spot. But but they are that they are very bad, well, and it does make me feel better that well I mean it actually it doesn't make me feel better but it is nice knowing that my eyes aren't deceiving me that I'm not just some Homer fan who's getting upset at their team every time they screw up <laughs> that they are in fact a very bad base running team.
0: Oh I didn't realize they're uh, playing the Royals right now. Is that still a a hot series for three? fans royals cardinals still you know it's up funny up.
1: you ask me that eric because i wrote a little oh. blurb about this today um i personally don't give a damn about this series
0: <laughs> it's
1: i i believe it is a rivalry if you live in certain parts of missouri i've never lived in missouri i'm barely old enough to remember 1985 um but not but certainly wasn't old enough to have any lingering uh, you know Ill feelings about it, and um, most of all, I just, I just really dislike interleague play. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm in favor of most of the recent advancements in baseball, whether it's expansion, um, um, expanded playoffs. Replay I know replay sometimes is slow and frustrating, but it's still to me better than the alternative But I still do not like interleague play if that makes me a dinosaur I'm, I'm fine with that, but it, it makes scheduling balance very hard. If not impossible I would say it makes it in fact impossible um, I, And I think it's really watered down the World Series frankly I, I think what was used to be so great about the World Series is the fact that it was the only baseball is the only professional sport where by design, the two teams playing at the end hadn't had no chance of ever seeing each other until that series. Um, And that's kind of gone now. I mean, it's still likely that that two teams haven't played each other, but they've played common teams if they haven't played each other. Um, And it seemed like kind of two separate worlds just colliding. And you got to see like, okay, you know, who's you know which brand of baseball is better, the American League or the National League, and that's kind of lost now. I think because of interleague, um, and so I take it out on this series. I don't, I don't like this series at all. I don't like it when people say the Royals are, are the Cardinals' rival. To me, our rival is and will
0: always be the Cubs.
1: So, there are some people who I'm sure appreciate these games, these rivalries, but I'm not that person.
0: Yeah, it's interesting you say that. I was listening to the Jonah Terry podcast, which. He doesn't just do baseball now, but he had, and I'm blanking on the name, the Giants broadcaster that's not John Miller. Oh, uh, Dave Fleming? Yes, okay. So he had uh, Dave Fleming on, and that's the exact argument he made was, if you want to get ratings up for the World Series, scrap interleague play. His his concession was, you know, if you wanted to have once or twice a year, okay, let the Reds play the Indians, let the Cardinals play the Royals. Like, have that series if you want it, and then completely go back to split divisions to, to generate some more interest in the series now.
2: Well, and beyond, beyond that, Alex is following a team. I don't think I, – I probably am not in – sorry, Eric, you're not at all. Uh, but Alex is following team Scott has got a shot to the wild card. <laughs> and with Interleague, our division is playing the AL West, which is probably the toughest division, I'd guess, in the American League this year because Texas is doing great. Houston's gotten its act together. Um, you know, Seattle's decent. L.A. is not really bad. Oakland's probably the weakest of them. Okay. And so every team in the in the NL Central, in a way, has a tougher schedule than anybody else just because they're stuck playing the better division in the other league. And, yeah, Alex, di- didn't you have the tweet this week about making an even number in each league is a way to kill interleague play?
1: Well, yeah, that was – like, so – that was good. Yeah, because with an odd number of teams in each league, as we have now, 15 in the National League, 15 in the American League, you have to have at least one interleague series going going at 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 you know at once. Remember, it used to be there would be like a week of interleague where everyone was playing interleague. That was when there were 16 teams in the National League and 14 teams in the American League. Um, once the Astros jumped ship to the American League, it all changed. and. Right. It became impossible to to not have at least one interleague series going on. Um, I I had this kind of tongue in cheek idea that you know whoever finishes last in baseball should have to go to the other division. Uh, I mean to to the other league. I mean, yeah. so if the so if baseball were to end today, it would be the Twins, and they would have to go to the NL Central um, to help even it out in terms of having sixteen teams back in the National League. And 14 in the American League, but what would really make the most sense if if we were going to scrap interleague play? And you know, I'm I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon. But let's say it did. What would make the most sense would just be expansion, two team expansion, I guess.
2: Right. right, 16 and 16.
0: Yeah, Rob, do the Pirates have like a natural AL rival for interleague?
2: <laughs> yeah, you know who it is: who? the Detroit Tigers. And you know why? Because of the 1909 World Series between Ty Cobb versus Honus Wagner, I'm not kidding you guys. This was it was a home and away. It's, it's a, the 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 Royal Series is home and away this week, right, Alex?
1: Yeah,
2: yeah. And it, they did a home and away with the Tigers in April. And yeah, that's yeah. their natural rival because I guess no one's gotten over that one.
1: I didn't know that. It, it, it seems like just by geography, it should be the Indians.
0: They're yeah, in I, the battle for Ohio, though.
1: No, I know, but Pittsburgh and Cleveland are always such rivals. Oh,
0: yeah.
2: yeah. Right. Well, their their natural rival is their fellow Keystone State uh, team, the Phillies, who so far in June are the only
0: team in the National League that's managed to have a worse record than the Pirates. Well, how about speaking of the Pirates? Uh, You were telling me you've done a deep dive. Uh, Rob, are the Pittsburgh Pirates done? Probably. I mean, you – Here's
2: here would be the the, the counter argument for this because I remember I was on this I think we were talking right at the end of May or right at the beginning of June and I said the Pirates were gonna have a tough June and that's that's played out pretty well <laughs> they got uh, I was looking at it. so far in June they're eight and eighteen which is one game better than the Phillies they have a 5.51 ERA for the team the starters ERA is 6.21. And they're hitting 229, 302, 369 for the month. Mm. And um, this is a good – baseball prospectus, DRA, the bottom five in the National League, the amazing thing, we, the three of us, four of the pitchers in the bottom five are on teams that we follow, and none of them are Reds. Hey! The worst, yeah, the worst is Jonathan Neese. Nice. The second one is Francisco Liriano. The obligatory Rocky, Chad Bettis, is in there. And then there's Mike Leak, just ahead of Jeff Locke. Uh-huh. So it's been a brutal month for the Pirates, and it's been compounded by some injuries, the biggest of which by far is uh, Francisco Cervelli broke his hamate bone swinging. Which robs them not only of a good bat, but also of a really good pitch framer. So that's hurt, you know. That's hurt them on both sides of the ball. the The one ray of hope, I'd say, is that if your June is really brutal, that probably means you got some easy months coming ahead. And there's an awful lot of Brewers and Reds in the Pirates' schedule in the back half of the year. The problem is that, you know, it's this is a top-heavy league. And for them to get in the wild cards, you've got where we're sitting today. You've got the Mets are in the mix. Cardinals obviously in the mix. The, um, the Dodgers are in the mix. I think that um, the Pirates might be trailing the Rockies, but that's not you know that's not in too much of a hurdle. Oh, they're, they're, and obviously they're behind the Marlins who are started to play today ahead of the Mets. And that's probably too much ground to make up.
0: The uh, uh, with the with What did you make of the trade Garrett Cole rumors that started to flow? Do you think that's something that could happen this year?
2: Trade, okay, I didn't hear that. I heard the trade
0: McCutcheon. I don't know if it was from the Pirates, but I heard maybe it was like Boston Red, had asked the right? yeah, yeah, yeah. Well,
2: Cole had a somewhat acrimonious um, negotiation with the club uh, in the spring, but he's not even our eligible yet. So... Uh, that would be he's that would hot? be kind of nuts no oh no because that that was the that, that's what happened in the spring is that the pirates renewed him and he wanted a bigger raise than what they were offering him and they kind of said well we don't have to pay more than the major league minimum which he didn't care for a lot um but no he's he's i believe he becomes our eligible next year And the Pirates have a stud down on the farm still. They already called up Jamison Tyon. They got this guy, um, Tyler Glass, now. But I was looking him up. I'm going to give you one, two, three, four, five numbers from his last four starts. Guess which one is worrisome. He's pitched last five starts, 23 and two-thirds innings. That's pretty good. Allowed two hits. I'm sorry, six hits, two earned runs, 28 strikeouts, and 20 walks.
0: <laughs>
2: so we got a little bit of a strike zone issue and you know, the, the pirates are not the playing the way that they are this year. I mean, I gave you the bottom five DRA pitchers in the national league and three of them are pirate starters. They're not in a position to be able to deal
0: starters. Now he, now I know he, he made his pirates debut recently. Is he still up with the club or did they send him back down?
2: Tyon is, is there and he's probably there to stay. Okay. He didn't, last long in his last start he couldn't last five and if I remember right that's one of the games that uh the bullpen coughed up for him but um he's a little worrisome in that I don't know that he's got more than a couple pitches It, it was against the Dodgers and the Dodger boy the Dodgers have good announcers don't they I mean not when not when it's just Scully they I I really enjoy listening to Dodger games and they were saying that He's throwing, I think, 90% fastballs when he gets behind in the count. So he's really got to develop a little bit more depth in his repertoire. But, yeah, he's when he's ahead in the count, he's pitched pretty well. So, yeah, I think Tyon's there to stay. Uh, he's knocked Juan Nicasio out of the rotation for the time being. But they still, the, the Pirates still are looking for starters. The Ray Searidge
0: magic hasn't worked so much this year. Now, who's, who? so who's catching for the Pirates right now if Cervelli's out?
2: Uh, well, Chris Stewart was the number two, and he has stepped into the number one spot. And they actually traded for or bought Eric Kratz, who was uh, catching in Salt Lake City for the in the Angels organization. So they really want Cervelli back. I mean, <laughs> Stewart's a fine backup guy, but he's also he's also a little banged up, and he's I think thirty three or something, thirty two. So he's not he's not a guy that you really want to lean on to catch every single day.
1: That Cervelli injury was so weird.
2: That's how it almost always happens with hamate injuries, is a guy will do it while he's swinging.
0: Interesting. Okay, I didn't know
2: that. I knew that because um, I can't that's remember. What, uh, what.
0: That's the same thing that happened to Stanton last year, right?
2: That's right, yeah. And I was listening to MLB Network radio right after that happened, and Todd Hollinsworth, is one of the morning commentators, and he had had it happen to him, so he had some pretty good insights on it. Okay, and he said, "Yeah, it 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 happens when it happens on a swing, and it's a real minor operation. It's just it's part of the bone they just remove, and it heals a hundred percent. But usually, it takes a little
0: while for your power to come back." So you're at the point you are not expecting a playoff push. This is it.
2: No, it would be. It would be. I wouldn't say miraculous, but a lot of things would have to come together that haven't been coming together. Look, they're playing badly, not just because they're playing good uh, teams. They're not. The starting pitching has been abysmal this month. The bullpen has been shaky all year. And I know Sam says that everyone thinks their team's bullpen is shaky, but the Pirates actually do have a shaky one this year. And you know, the offense has been fine without a contribution from McCutcheon, but I don't think you know you don't want to count on uh I mean, he's a fine player but if you're relying on john J so to be you know a more of a run producer than andrew mccutcheon you're gonna you're gonna be running thin on offense at some point
0: which leaves the cardinals to take on the cubs and since brandon's not here to defend himself uh alex would you like to uh take the floor after the cardinals swept the cubs last week
1: Sure. Uh, But first, I want to say something to cheer Rob up. Um, Rob, did you know that my cousin is a member of the Baco Brigade? I did not. How did that happen? She she has been doing this for four years now, I think.
0: So, uh, Alex, would you like to explain it? Because I'm a... What is the Bucko Brigade? The
1: Bucko Brigade is the crew at Pittsburgh Games. You, you've seen these people. They, uh, they're they the ones who shoot the T-shirts out of the cannons on top of the dugouts. They're the ones who keep track of the, the K signs during all the strikeouts. You know, basically the kind of the squad that gets the crowd pumped up and into the game. My cousin is, is uh, a prominent
0: member of the Bucko Brigade. Rob, have you ever considered joining I I don't
2: know that they really want you
0: know me to be the
2: the, the face of that. I'll go out on a limb.
1: <laughs> so yeah, I hope that makes you feel better. Although I I, I don't cool. think we've seen the last of the pirates. Um, I really they're the you know they have the kind of track record that you never want to count out until until it's late in the season and you can absolutely count them out. But Eric, you were asking me about the Cardinal sweep of the Cubs.
0: I was, yeah, yeah, I yeah. Cardinals just swept the Cubs last week, right?
1: Yeah, it was I, pretty great, right? You want um, to
0: enjoy the spoils of your.
1: No, it was it was nice. Unfortunately, after they did that, the Cubs went to Florida and and lost three of four, which was great, except for the fact that the Cardinals couldn't capitalize, um, and and kind of went and laid an egg out in Seattle, so they still sit. As as we're recording this, ten back of the Cubs, so they, you know, they they swept the Cubs, but that was sandwiched between losing five in a row to Houston and Texas, and then losing two of three, two of three to Seattle, and losing last night to Kansas City. Um, although they're winning right now, so it's it's kind of the story for this team in 2016. They they will look great for one series, and then just. Yeah, look, look, inept in the next, and it's just a struggle to find any sort of consistency.
0: It probably doesn't help you. The Cubs are playing the Reds right now.
1: No, it doesn't. It was 2 nothing last I checked. It is 2-1 in uh,
0: no- the bottom of the ninth. Billy Hamilton homered off of John Lester.
1: Oh, all right. There's Man. uh, how many outs?
0: There's no outs. Okay. Bottom nine. Lester has been uh, – Rondon's in the closets. Uh, Votto just flew out, so two outs left. Okay. Which there was a, a bit of a Joey Votto stir online. Uh, I know we talked about broadcasters, but pre-game Marty Brenneman, the Reds broadcaster, talks to Brian Price every week. And he – Brenneman's been, for years, the vocal Votto should swing more advocate right. for that crew. Uh, and it was funny listening tonight. He was basically prep in as in as nice a way as he could, trying to get Price to admit, "You've got to get Votto to swing more if this team's going to get any better." <laughs> and so
2: he's still riding that horse, isn't he?
0: Yeah, it was basically yeah. You know, it'd be if great if you guys could score some more runs. If he could hit some more homers, you you want him to swing some more, right? And just I mean, Price obviously didn't bite on it. Yeah, that's great that he still gets on base, but. There is definitely a, a minority group that does not enjoy Joey Votto's approach to baseball. I just
2: look at the standings. I guess I guess I was aware of this. The Cubs are tied with the Giants for the second most wins in baseball.
0: It's the Rangers,
2: right, first? Yeah. Cubs have fewer losses, but, you know, hey, we'll, we'll cling to any straw we can find. Oh. <laughs>
1: Well, it, it is kind of significant when you think about it. It seemed just two weeks ago that people were talking about, you know, can the Cubs win 117? Can they win 120? And now, don't get me wrong, they're still, I think, the best
0: team in baseball.
1: But they yeah. have kind of lost a little cloak of invincibility, I think.
0: Yeah. I, yeah, I, 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 it definitely feels different playing them now. Brandon Phillips just got hit by a pitch, so things are moving which that has been the other major complaint in Cincinnati right now is Brian Price insists on hitting Brandon Phillips third in the lineup, which makes – he blames it on his high contact rate, but it's probably one of the more frustrating parts of the season.
1: Speaking of Brandon Phillips and kind of older, um, you know, kind of older aging, declining stars, and uh, I, I thought of this when reading Rob's Trailing 30, which was I think went up yesterday. Um, and yeah. that's a weekly post that everyone should read. Um, but okay. do you guys care about all-star game voting?
0: Less and less each year.
1: The reason why I thought of this because Rob made a point about uh, Yadier Molina um, and, and kind of where he, he ranks in OPS and where he ranks in all-star voting. Rob, do you care about all star voting?
2: Only for the comic relief that <laughs> moments like that provide. Like when the Royals were all winning last year, I thought it was hilarious.
1: Yeah. I still kind of care about it. I still want to see. I don't know. Like, I. That Royals thing kind of bothered me a little bit. I, the, not, I, not the I, players who were actually good and somewhat worthy of being in the game but you know if if if, say the all-star game was coming to my hometown and i was going to get a chance to go see it maybe take my son or something like that i want to see like the best players out there
2: yeah i think that's legitimate i'll tell you the 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 conundrum that i had with it is we you know going back to uh to the baseball show with, with Joe and Rainey, we had our, you know, our, our nostalgia week. So this week on effectively wild. Um, I always thought that the guys who are the best players this year should be in the all-star game. And Sheehan makes a really good case that you should vote for the best players period. I mean, you don't give Derek Jeter a lifetime achievement award necessarily, but you know, by the same token, you know, if if Diaz had stayed as hot as he started the year at Alex, do you really want him to be the starting shortstop? I think that's that that was created enough of a moral conundrum for me. Yeah, and I just said, well, you know, I don't really know who to vote for anymore. So let's just see if it can get kind of funny.
1: I'm I'm fine with it being like the stars, even if they're not. Oh yeah, who they once were. Uh, like, like when Ozzy Smith was in the All-Star game, basically until he retired, I was completely fine with that. Not just because I was a Cardinals fan, but for the same reason I was fine with Ripken and Jeter. And, you know, I guess, you know, who else kind of gets that right. distinction?
0: So, yeah, a- as of yesterday, here is your NL starting lineup. Uh, Yachty's about 50,000 clear. Yadier, of Buster Posey. Uh, Rizzo is going to be the starting first baseman. Uh, Zobrist at second, uh, a little bit in front of Daniel Murphy. Chris Bryant at third, Addison Russell at short. And then your top three in the outfield are Fowler, Harper, and Cespedes.
1: Wait, who's (laughs) at third base again?
0: Uh, Bryant.
1: Really? Ahead of?
0: Uh, Arenado, two. Carpenter, three. uh, Matt Duffy, four.
2: Mm. There's about... Two positions that I don't have a problem
0: with (laughs) You know Yeah so it will be a very Chicago heavy All-star game for the NL Unless something changes Yeah unless
2: they they find a lot of illegal votes Like they did last year
0: (laughs) Well Why don't we end on this Uh, What was I going to say Rob you brought up the Effectively Wild Reunion this week which has been great Uh, for those of you, uh, who have been listening, but didn't know from before, uh, there was a, a podcast, a baseball show with Rainy and Joe that I found late. So after it was over, I went back and started listening to those and maybe just hear from you guys, even stuff that's, that's not around anymore. And maybe, maybe in particular stuff that's not around anymore for people who might be interested. If you had to pare it down to, you know, two to three baseball podcasts that you were going to live with for the rest of your life. What lineup are you going
2: with? I would, well, effectively Wild 1. Okay, the Fangraphs uh, podcasts, the, if you don't listen to them now, I'll tell you the host of them, Carson Sistuli, is a acquired taste. I've acquired Sweet. him. Um, and some of his podcasts, well, actually, I'd say, what, what would you guess? Like maybe 30, 40% of his podcasts, they don't really talk about baseball, but they're kind of amusing. And for pure baseball, I like the Statcast pod, podcast that's put on by um, MLB Advanced Media with uh, Mike Petriello, um, who also does the uh, the Statcast um, the the broadcast on MLB TV. Uh, I'll hear what Alex has to say, but I think those would be my top three.
0: Okay, I I I love this, Stouli. It took me. I'll say it took me about six months. Where I went from, I don't know about this, to he's one of my favorite hosts now.
1: I laugh just listening to him do the introduction to his <laughs> podcast, where he's talking about the sponsor. Just, something about his delivery, I, I really enjoy. Yeah, so just, Fitzgrap's uh, audio, yeah. um, obviously effectively wild. And, you know, to be honest, I don't listen to a ton of baseball podcasts just because uh, there are so many podcasts. Um and I only have so many hours in the week, but I, I would say, you know, obviously I I always enjoy the Bandage of the Pen podcast, but I also enjoy Will Leach and Allison Footer.
0: I just started listening to that and really excellent, yeah. excellent choice, yeah,
1: yeah, it she's fantastic. Will, um, w- Will is one of my favorite writers. Um, I've always loved Will's work. Um, but to me, um, he's much better in print than he is on. Um, TV or and I think he would be or or podcast. I think he would be one of the first to admit that. But uh, um, but Allison is excellent. Um, and, and you know will's obviously good, but Allison is excellent. And and yeah. and they they cover a wide range of topics. Um, they cut to the chase with with everything. There's not much fluff. And um, yeah, I I, th- I think it's one of the better podcasts out there.
0: Have either of you started listening much to the? Michael Bauman, who does the, the Ringer MLB podcast now, uh, I, he contributed to Baseball Perspectives, I think, for a long time. But uh, that, That's probably the most recent one I've started to listen to that has been a good listen. But I wasn't aware of that. Yeah, so I know some people have a weird taste in their mouth with anything that Bill Simmons does. But, uh, yeah, Bauman's the regular host, and then he has kind of a rotating cast that he's been bringing on.
1: Oh, I have to add that one because I've yeah. always liked. To. And the uh, it, it's funny you bring up Simmons because he actually had Keith Olbermann on about a month ago, and Keith made a lot of really eloquent points. Um, kind of, kind of what I was talking about earlier about the mystique that is is gone from the World Series with the advent of interleague play. Um,
0: Maybe that's what I was listening to. I knew I heard it somewhere. That may have been what I was thinking about.
1: Yeah, yeah. He made made some really great points.
0: Were either of you up and in listeners at the time it was actually on? I was not. No, I missed it. I think I have gone back and listened to about 50 in probably the last couple years. Uh, and I would say obviously the, the news is dated. At the, at the time, the, basically the current Royals starting lineup was all in the minor leagues, and it was the, kind of the, the, the rage of their world at the time. But simply from a, if you want to learn about scouting perspective, uh, even though that news is outdated, hearing those two talk about how they scout players, how they evaluate them, uh, is definitely still worth going back and checking that out you know, five, six years later. And, you know, I don't listen
2: to a lot of team specific podcasts, but and I'm not saying this just to uh, butter up anybody or anything like anything uh, like that. But um, the Baron of all baseball (laughs) podcasts, our own Ryan, he does a nice podcast. He's a really skilled interviewer. And uh, when he gets really good guests on, he'll get some some in-depth type of
0: conversations that I don't hear a lot elsewhere.
1: Yeah. I agree with that. He moves conversation along very well.
0: Very yeah, well. he recently he had Sam Miller on, and I think that may have been one of the first ones I listened to of his, but yeah, he did a great job with yeah. after you. All right, well, uh, we're about to hit the hour mark. Uh, we can start wrapping up. Alex, anything you want to plug this week?
1: Uh no not really um I had something a quick thing up today at Vive Albertos uh, about interleague play and kind of why I don't care about the Cardinals uh, Royal series um but that's about it you can find me on Twitter at alexcards seventy nine and uh, as always very good talking to you guys
0: Rob you got anything
2: yeah just to echo what Alex said this is always a lot of fun um I uh, have been writing less frequently about the Pirates. At on the field of play.com but you can still catch me at uh, Banish to the Pen and uh, still doing some stuff for uh, baseball prospectus as well. I probably won't be writing a lot about the Pirates because they're gonna be past my bedtime almost every game this week they're in Seattle and then they're in Oakland.
0: okay so so yeah check all that out uh, and like I mentioned uh, at the beginning uh, you can find my stuff at uh, Red reporter. Uh, had something go up today that meant a lot to me, just about uh, went to my first Reds game of the season, and had a, a family member, my wife's grandpa, uh, end up passing away right before that, and got to talk a little bit about uh, baseball and the role that it played in kind of helping through that weekend process, so uh, I've gotten a lot of a good feedback about it. And great. They it great. Everyone should read it. So. Uh, Well, I think that will do it. Uh, We'll wrap up for tonight uh, again for uh, an NL Central podcast. Uh, Thanks for joining us, and we will see you guys next week.